everyone. Welcome to another episode of Sophia's Choice, a Golden Girls podcast. As always, I'm Alan. I'm joined by my friend Ski. Hello, hello. And Brent. Hi. And today we're going to be going over episode 14. Um, that was no lady. As uh, usual, we're going to start off with a recap uh, by Ski and then go into uh, giving our MVPs for the episode as well as our rating out of eight slices of cheesecake on our quest to determine Sophia's Choice, the greatest episode <laughs> of the Golden Girls. So without further ado, did you have something you wanted to add, Brent? Um, I'll mention it in 45 seconds. 45 seconds? Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and hand it <laughs> off to, to Ski then uh, to, to begin our recap. I will recap. try to hurry. Uh, so again, uh, episode 14, That Was No Lady. Yeah. Original what air- about that? Like, isn't that a horrible title? <laughs> yeah, I didn't understand how the title even really fit into yeah. the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was an odd title that seemed to have no bearing on what actually <laughs> <Exactly>. happened. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I assume, you know, as we get into it, that maybe it means lady and like uh, proper, you know, like, oh, she's not a proper lady. Because yeah. as we get into it, you know, Dorothy makes uh, some questionable decisions. Yeah, but also just... And, and I sort of see where they're going out with that. But the fact that it was past tense like that, like, that was no lady. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, to me it sounds like Dorothy was, like, tricked, um, or or I guess did the opposite, what did the tricking, yeah. where it was like, oh, it's a man, baby, that kind of a thing. Yeah, I, yeah. Mean, I hear a lot of people really like the... Me, uh, Arthur could pull that off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she, she is a stately lady, for sure, but, uh, but I still think she's 100% female. I wondered when I saw the title, like, because at first I was confused, like you guys. I wonder if maybe it's a allusion to something else, though, like if it's like a reference, kind of like uh, on Golden Pond was on Golden Girl or something before. I wonder if this is a, like a reference to something. Maybe. I mean, it sounds like it's the something something eighties joke. Maybe, but. yeah. Yeah, I, I still say I wonder what the lead up would be to the joke. If that <laughs> yeah, would, yeah. Um, because yeah, like to me, it just it doesn't sound. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound like it's referring to someone's classiness. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like they're referring to someone's gender specifically, yeah. and there was no part in this that yeah. there was any question of anybody's <laughs> gender. Um, but Rest in peace, Mr. Coco. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was definitely no lady. He was all man, Brent. Exactly. So, all right. Well, then uh, <laughs> I, I think we've gotten through the um, the title of the episode Should, should now. we say it again? <laughs> uh, that I, was I, no lady. Yeah. <laughs> That was no lady. <laughs> that was no lady. <laughs> I love that. That's yeah. probably my favorite line now of the whole. <laughs> so your favorite line is now the title of the episode, as presented which was by never Brent. stated, by the way, in the episode. Oh, so that's true. But Brent's chosen lines that were not in the episode, also. Exactly. <laughs> so now, the, and, we, and and to be clear. My favorite line was the specific way he just said it. Oh, okay. That, the other ones final. he said before, not as good. With the little Jerry Lewis there on yes. the end of it. That's uh... <laughs> Well, I, one way or the other, I'm sure that one of those readings is the way they intended it to be read. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think whatever suits your, you know, your needs, um, yeah. you can go ahead and assume that's the way that uh, Susan Harris meant it to be read. I'm certain so, yes. So. Anyway, so go ahead, Ski. Sorry. The uh, original air date was December 21st, 1985. Mm-hmm. Produced by Kathy Spear and Terry Grossman. Co-produced by Marsha Posner-Williams. Created by Susan Harris. Written by uh, Liz Sage, which I don't think we've seen that name yet. And directed by Jim Drake. Okay. Uh, so this one we open in the Lanai. Sophia and Rose are playing a, a trivia board game. Uh, the first question we see is uh, Rose asks what the world's fastest human was or is mm-hmm. and Sophia claims the answer is Dominic Tanzi Rose says no 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 at the time of the show the answer was Jesse Owens <laughs> yeah I thought it was uh, you know because she refers to Dominic as you know I think being fast with the ladies yes um, mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever heard of a person I don't think I've heard of a man referred to as fast uh, in that regard I mean mm-hmm. I guess I've always heard it as more towards mm-hmm. a female um, you know which is probably more just our uh, I think I've heard of men referred to as like fast operators. Yeah, oh, okay. I've heard. Of, oh, you move pretty fast, don't you? Oh, mm-hmm. all right. Like, you progress in the like. Hey, my name's Jeff. What's yours? Oh, you want to go do stuff? 
<laughs> like, is, is that the way that... it exactly like that <laughs> works every time i mean well you know you figure if you throw it out there like 20 times and it hits once <laughs> still you know you saved yourself a lot of time right yeah the, uh, miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take exactly and you way lower the bar on expectation <laughs> right yeah i mean if you're like you meet someone you ask them they want to do stuff and then <laughs> you know if they agree then you know Mm-hmm. They're probably not going to expect uh, flowers or a follow-up date even. No, no. I mean, I would think that if you're finding a partner that is uh, so ready to do stuff. Very Tinder-like. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely you could cut through the chaff and, you know, just <laughs> just get the wheat that you're looking for. Uh, I do think you'd have more success, though, if you um, went with... Um, Hey, would you like to do stuff? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that I even want to be with the person that is going to be attracted to that particular <laughs> version of Jerry the line. Lewis on the end. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't even think you quite hit Jerry Lewis on that one. It, it's closer to Sherry Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, if you were into Lamb Chop, that'd be a whole different system. Exactly. <laughs> whole different situation. <laughs> I can't do voices. It's not something. I, yeah, I'm not. Uh, I, I don't even attempt them. I feel like there's been times when I've thought that I could do a voice <laughs> relatively well, yeah. and then I've heard it and realized that I was completely mistaken. Yeah. Um, Skeet is a pretty good Jerry Lewis. Do uh, I? Yeah, yeah. Your your version, your foreign Laven Shoil. Huh? Foreign Laven Shoil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really not too bad. Um, I can see that. So. And oh, I, I was. I remember I did that Jar Jar Binks well. Mm-hmm. That's. Yeah. This is Jar Jar Binks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's one that lasts. Yeah, it ages well. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, and it's just such a beloved character. Exactly. That's so why. I mean, people are always uh, pining for that. Uh, I, I heard there was a real big push to put bring him back to the uh, the new films, but it just wouldn't be time appropriate. Yeah. Uh, well. <laughs> Yeah, I guess we really don't even know if he would still be alive. Yeah, um, we don't know how long the, the Gungan life cycle is. Yeah. Because, I mean, that would have been two full trilogies ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I don't know, that that fat Gungan seemed like he had probably been alive for a long time, <laughs> but still, he may have just been aging poorly. Mm-hmm. Anyways. It did say he might be in um, the new Obi-Wan show. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, but that would still would have taken place. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. On what one? Uh, the Obi-Wan Oh, TV show. I don't think so. I heard about that one. Yeah, they're making one on Disney, Disney Plus. Plus. Yep. Yeah. So. Everything's on that. Yeah, just Disney. like two episodes. Just a glorified cameo. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it was only two episodes long. I was like, well, that seems like a, a disappointing show length if it's only two episodes. <laughs> but now I see what you mean. Just Jar Jar's portion. So well, I guess That we'll, seems about just right, actually. <laughs> yeah, more than enough. Um, so anyway, she says Jesse Owens, but that's wrong. Or, sorry, Jesse Owens is the right answer. But uh, she talks about Dominic uh, is fast due to the fact that he impregnated four women in one night. Mm. Uh, two in New York and two in New Jersey. That would be impressive. That's um, some travel time, too. I mean, that's... Yeah, it's some travel time, and it's a lot of uh, baby-making material to spread around in one night. Um, you know, they would all be viable. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, you know, he, he's a virile man, that's for sure. Well, we don't know that he's not some kind of, like, doctor. I think that he's, oh. a, you know, a fertility specialist. So these four <laughs> women didn't even know that he does. He, was. he does home visits. Mm. You know. It's like that doctor that has impregnated, you know, tons of women with his own, his own. Right. Semen. Yeah. He had specimens to spare. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, I guess we don't really know the life and times of Dominic. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but you do think it was like two in New York and then two in New Jersey, right? He wasn't like going back and forth. Yeah. I, I definitely say that he, you know, now I'd like to think that. Depends uh, on how close they are to the bridge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he's a tunnel man myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well that's played. A fair assessment. Well played. I like that one. <laughs> so we're about nine minutes into this podcast and about ten seconds into this episode. Yes, not, not much has happened. Yeah. <laughs> but at least we know who created it. So. And when it aired. Yeah, that's true. And that'll be important that, later. And yeah. the title. Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, so Blanche enters and uh, tells the girls that she's planning to do something that she's uh, been wanting to do for a long time, uh, and that is buy a new car. But uh, she can only do that if she can unload uh, her current car. Right. And then uh, Rose says that it shouldn't be hard because it's a beautiful car. Yeah, I thought it was uh, surprising that in this episode, it just... Now, granted, this is still a very new show at this point, you know, half a season in. Mm-hmm. 
but I was kind of surprised there wasn't any product uh, placement at all. You know, even if she just said what her dream car was, um, even if it didn't show a picture yeah, of it or anything. Yeah, it didn't even show it later on. Yeah, I was kind of surprised that whatever her dream car is, you know, they couldn't even get somebody to pony up a few bucks for them to say Mercedes <laughs> or, you know, yeah. BMW or whatever. They definitely have deep pockets, so you'd think that would be something they could uh, throw some money at. All right, yeah. I mean, just a little advertising, but... It does seem awkward that she thought she'd be able to get the full blue book value for her car. Yeah. As a trade-in, too. Yeah, yeah. Right. As she mentions. Yeah, because I don't think you can ever get a full blue book yeah. value on a trade-in, and it obviously had mechanical issues anyway, as we find out later in the episode. And so Sophia points out that Rose needs a car and says, you know, you should buy it from Blanche. Um, basically, Blanche says, no, that's a horrible idea. Well, not a horrible idea, but... She says, my great-granddaddy always used to say there are two things you never sell to a friend, a car and a slave. Because <laughs> if either one of them quits working, you'll never hear the end of it. Yeah, I think that was my favorite line of the entire episode. Uh, <laughs> there was a couple good ones, but that one that one definitely stood out. I mean, and it's certainly words to live by. Uh, <laughs> so. Well, she later on, uh, or she follows that with her granddaddy was later hanged and said many things that he probably shouldn't have. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if she means he was lynched because of it, or because um, if you're just saying things you shouldn't have, I don't think hanging would typically be the uh, the punishment that would would follow that. Modern politics would definitely say against that. Well, yeah. <laughs> Do you think it was like a slave uprising? I, I mean, it could have been. I, I, the great grandfather wouldn't have been that old, right? I mean, you figure. I mean, if she was born in what 1930, yeah, or 40. Okay. Yeah, probably like 40. And so grand, grandfather, or, you know, her father, then we'll say 1920. Yeah. Grandfather, 1900, 1890, maybe. Yeah. Great-grandfather would have been like, you know, at the latest or earliest, like maybe 1850s. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. How many slaves would he have been owned in 1850? <laughs> when uh, so, when mean, was the Emancipation Proclamation? I mean, he would have had him for a good 15 years. Oh, okay. Of course, he would have been 15 at the time. <laughs> Yeah, so, but at uh, the time he's passing on this information, yeah. it'd been... Well, maybe, all right, so she, let's say she was 40, okay. Okay. Let's say, you know, you know, gentleman could be a little bit older. Sure. So maybe split the difference. And so she was 40, Big Daddy was 1910. Okay. Okay. And then Big Daddy's daddy would have been, what, 1880? Yeah. Which would have then, I guess, 1850. That, yeah. So, so, I mean, you could go back maybe another 10, 20 years, yeah, but... Uh, exactly. Which then I, and so yeah, I mean, if he would have got you know one of them for his um, quinceanera, mm. then he would have well, good. <laughs> and also, this I'm assuming this grandfather, great grandfather, said it to her, um, and he got hanged for what he said. He would have been an old man by the time that they strung him up uh, yeah. for, you know, whatever incendiary things he was saying. There was somebody else got in a lot of trouble, I think, for disciplining mm-hmm. this man. I mean, he well deserved it, I'm sure. Yeah, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it probably did not go well uh, for whoever did the hanging of them either. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, she follows it up by obviously dismissing what he, you know, the, the things he said in general. Mm-hmm. And you know, she asked Rose, you know, what she'd give her for the car. And uh, Rose then declined, saying no, she wouldn't want to do that because she wants one. She wants a car that says practical, whereas her her car says available. And and Blanche, I love this, follows up with. Uh, well, you can just take off my personalized plates. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was another solid part. I felt like some of the funniest lines were here in this opening scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, uh, she offers Rose a two-week test drive uh, and adds that if she doesn't love it, she'll take it back, no questions asked. And then Rose accepts uh, a bit overly excited, and Sophia points out that it's a used car and not a seat on the space shuttle. Right. Which is a good thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Five weeks later, <laughs> Challenger. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow, that was a... Timely. <laughs> I didn't think about that, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. It's good looking up. That's, yeah. that's good. It's a good thing that uh, Blanche wasn't selling that open seat that they had on the Challenger. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I thought it was odd, too. I mean, not to belabor this one scene too much but also it appears that she's expecting to get full blue book value from rose on this Mm -hmm. car also so even if the car was in perfect condition 
you know, you're selling it to a friend mm-hmm. that probably could go and get it for less than Blue Book <laughs> at a dealership. I don't know. It, it was obviously we find out it's a shiesty deal to begin with, but also with, I think, unrealistic expectations, mm-hmm. even if it was a perfect vehicle. Yeah. yeah and well, we know. later find out her motivation behind that anyway. Right. So. Yeah. And I like the record to reflect that shiesty is exactly how her grandfather got killed. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you can avoid that kind of language, <laughs> your neck will thank me. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I've had a good run, 40, 41 years at this point. So, you know, if I get strung up, <laughs> then I'll, I'll look back at it as a life uh, well, eh, we'll, kind of well spent. We'll yeah. bring this up in the eulogy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Dorothy enters and is enthusiastic. I was always jealous at how well hung I was. <laughs> 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 I don't think you should lie in the church, Ski. <laughs> I didn't say this. <laughs> well, I think Brent was saying that you were going to say that in oh, the eulogy. I gotcha. So he was speaking on my behalf. Right, exactly. Gotcha. That was my Ski impression. Yeah. Man of a thousand voices. Mm-hmm. It's like, like fucking uh, Frank Caliendo over here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <Amazing>. <laughs> That's my new shtick on the podcast because obviously my prop comedy didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know. I was, well, you did that Gallagher stint, and uh, I was getting really tired of cleaning up those watermelons. That's so. why you took out the carpet. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so where are we at on this episode now, Ski? Uh, time wise, we're probably about like five wait, minutes. Nah, man, no, probably not. <laughs> not quite. Uh, Dorothy enters and is enthusiastically asking Blanche to give her uh, a manicure. For Rose to lend her, her pearls and for Ma to stay off her back. Uh, she's apparently going on a date with a man that is not Italian. Uh, his name is Glenn O'Brien, and she immediately seems very enamored with him. Glenn is a gym teacher at the school where she's been sub- subbing at. She says she knows him a few times, but today was right behind him after uh, she apparently butted ahead of 25 students to get near him. Uh, she, like, she referred to him, you know, something like, just like, the most handsomest man right. ever. <laughs> and, so, and so obviously that's when I started to suspect that Alex Rocco was this week's guest star. Well, yeah, I mean, who else could it have been? Richard Gornsworth. <laughs> <laughs> it was a short list, though. <laughs> um, Don Knotts would have been a good choice. Now, I don't think that... Um, I, said, I said Richard Farnsworth. <laughs> I, I don't know who Richard Farnsworth is, so I just tried to I tried to yes and you there, but I have no idea who Richard Farnsworth is. I always knew who Don Knotts is, um, but uh, who is Richard Farnsworth? Um, you might you know remember him from a little film called Misery. Ah, uh. <laughs> he was the old timey sheriff. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, even even though I've seen Misery literally a week ago. Um, uh-huh. I did not know the name of that particular <laughs> actor. I knew that it wasn't the lead guy. It was that James, James Kahn? Kahn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, no, yeah. not Jimmy Kahn. But he was the sheriff. Mm-hmm. Um, he's deceased, Richard oh. Farnsworth. That's not surprising. He was old when that movie came out yeah. 30 years ago. Another gunshot suicide, <laughs> just oh. like Mr. Coco. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That happens to the best of us. Uh-huh. Anyway, so sorry about that. Uh, let's uh, continue. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, he's not Italian. His name is Glenn O'Brien. She met him uh, at school. And then uh, she even goes on to admit that uh, she barely knows him, but they're going out that night, and she's kind of love-struck by him. Uh, Blanche refers to her um, love at first sight as the Thunderbolt. Right. Uh, Rose then says that she felt the same way when she first met Charlie, uh, when she was seven and he was eight. Mm-hmm. And then uh, she starts kind of settling into the story. You can see everybody's face kind of drop. And they kind of settle down and get more comfortable, expecting a long, drawn-out story. And then uh, she says that uh, Charlie had uh, a small sidewalk like stand, mm. and then they they assume it's for lemonade, but she's like, no, insurance. <laughs> and uh, she says she bought a uh, a policy for her little red wagon, mm. which was supposed was actually later destroyed by hogs that trampled it, and she suspects because she was willing a smoked ham home to her mom. Mm. Uh, Charlie then bought her a new wagon, you know, even though uh, her her policy did not cover acts of swine. Yeah. And Dorothy just kind of like dumbfounded by that phrase. Yeah, that one was a, a very strong contender also for my favorite line. <laughs> um, I, I just enjoyed acts of swine in, in general. But again, you know, starting to, continuing a strong opening to the episode. And we, uh, we change scenes. We have a lot of scene changes in this one. Mm-hmm. Maybe the most we've seen yet. Uh, we see Dorothy and Glenn in a hotel room. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're getting dressed. Mm-hmm. Oh, Alex Rocco. 
Roger Meyer Jr. himself. Yeah, yeah, he, he had a quite, quite the long career. He was a you know character actor, very successful, did quite a few roles. I think probably his most famous role would probably be in Godfather. Um, but also, he played B. Arthur in an episode of Family Guy. He voiced a B. Arthur for Family Guy one time. That is a special carry carryover. Yeah, it made me wonder. You know, I'm not a huge fan of that particular show, but I wondered if they specifically cast him to play B. Arthur Maybe, because of the yeah. connection, um, or you know, it could have just been a happy coincidence. But <laughs> I will say, and you may find this, I don't know, small world type thing or whatever. But when I was 21, 22, or whatever. I had an Alex Rocco poster hanging on my wall. <laughs> Was it just him, like uh, scantily clad? <laughs> <laughs> Getting dressed in the CD motel. <laughs> so, no. It was the um, the movie poster for Detroit 9000. Oh, so that's a movie the, I haven't even heard of. <laughs> yeah, I've not as heard of it either. the poster said, it's the murder capital of the world and the biggest black ripoff of the decade. It's going to get solved or the town's going to explode. <laughs> so, Very nice. Now, have you seen that movie or mm-hmm. did you just enjoy the poster? Both. Oh, okay. That's uh, a good poster. I like that. Yeah, there's a nice poster. What does the 9000 s- symbolize? Detroit 9000? I don't know. I don't remember what that was oh. for. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Anyways, yeah, it was a good movie. So, um, but I ordered it because so I was a big Quentin Tarantino fan, and he did a like re-release of it in theaters or whatever, and that's where I saw it. Mm. Um, but the poster that they had was different than that one, and that's what I thought I was ordering. But the guy at the Hollywood shop, you know, got the wrong one, and so oh, I showed okay. up, and I was like, eh, mm. okay. So I went and took it home. So it's still a nice poster and everything. But so do you still own this poster? Mm-mm, no, I don't know what happened to it. Oh, so. okay. oh well, we can always go back and replace it uh, now that you've rekindled your love of Alex Rocco. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, as uh, as they're kind of getting dressed and preening and stuff, uh, Dorsey's kind of musing on how amazing their uh, situation is and how happy she's been with Glenn for the past three weeks. Uh, Glenn then replies that he's thrilled to be with her and everything about her is great. Uh, Dorothy kind of continues that every time, uh, you know, every time you tell me you love me, I turn around to see who you're talking to. He assures her, though, that it is her that she loves, or he loves. And uh, she explains how comfortable she is with him and how she doesn't feel judged like she has felt previously. Uh, she kind of pours on the compliments about how warm, loving, and funny he is and adds that uh, she doesn't have, even have to wear flats when she's with him because he's tall. Right. Know, I think he's even a little bit taller than her. Mm. She uh, kind of uh, kisses him and suggests that they cut school tomorrow and go hit the Bahamas, uh, but uh, stay in the hotel until they're threatened to, to leave by the Board of Health. <laughs> uh, then he says he can't. He can't do it tomorrow, and uh, she says, okay, we'll just do dinner. But then he kind of gets serious and sits down on, I think, the bed or a chair nearby and says they need to talk or he needs to tell her something. And then after a short pause, he tells her that he's married. Dorothy is clearly taken aback by this, very upset. Uh, he goes on to say that he is, he is in a happy marriage, and Dorothy says that you know she can't believe this and that he lied to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, infidelity is a huge theme when it comes to the Golden <laughs> Girls. At least this first season. I guess it'll be interesting to see how it goes on. But obviously, first episode, you know, when Blanche is getting engaged, mm-hmm. you know, it's a bigamist. Yep. Then the <laughs> second episode, we meet Stanley and learn about that infidelity that happened there, mm-hmm. and then the uh, third episode. Let's see, that one's not, there's no infidelity there. Fifth episode, there's the uh, doctor boyfriend who who hits <laughs> yeah. on Blanche. Right. Um, the 11th episode, we have some more Stanley. I don't know if that quite counts as infidelity in that one. I mean, granted, there's the past that they have together, but he's not really yeah, it's, cheating. It's at least discussed, yeah. Yeah. Um, but so, he's still technically well, yeah. married, isn't he? Yeah, he is married so all the so, time. Yeah, because he was telling her he's going to leave her for Dorothy. So, yeah. So, yeah and then, and then leaves Dorothy to get back with her because right. she turns him down. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it was the fifth time in 14 episodes. So like <laughs> a th- more than a third of the episodes feature infidelity at this point. Um, of, of some kind, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, so he mentions that he's you know, mentions. He tells her that he's married. Well, actually, the, there's even another. Sorry, but there's the one with the the bowling, the uh, the sisters who were supposed to be really great bowlers. Right. They were having an issue because both sisters were sleeping with the same man. So there was some infidelity <laughs> there as well. So yeah, so six episodes out of fourteen mm-hmm. at this point have featured infidelity. So. They're just harlot magnets. Yeah. The eighties is a rough time, especially if you're in your fifties. So. <laughs> And they didn't even have the internet. No, no. Well, so, I mean, that's just all word of mouth cheating. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
<laughs> I, don't, I don't know what word of mouth cheating is, but <laughs> we'll just say low tech. Okay, that yeah, and that, that's that's probably better. So, so cafeteria lunch lines are you know the Tinder of the eighties. <laughs> that sounds pretty plausible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't even know what like the work cafeterias, um, mm-hmm. or are we talking about uh, school cafeterias or the Tinder of the eighties? Well, that's where she met him in the school cafeteria oh, line. That's right. Yeah. So at least in this case. Okay. I yeah. mean, other cafeterias were probably pretty seedy as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, just... the, you can't walk into an MCL without getting propositioned. <laughs> that's for sure. Twice, three mm. times even. Yep. Then you get up to the counter and you're like, oh. Don't even get me started on Jonathan Birds. With that? Yeah. <laughs> and they charge you per piece. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One breast or two. Exactly. <laughs> I thought this was a golden corral. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, you know, she says that you know, she's really upset and he lied to her. And then you know, he disagrees saying that, well, he's telling her now. Clearly after they'd already yeah. been together, at least, at least in this instance, but probably before. Yeah. And she says that, you know, she's she's leaving. They kind of go back and forth a few times, but she continues to pack her things and claims that, uh, oh, he claims that he stayed for the kids. She actually even threw that option out there. He kind of just agreed to it. And she says, well, are you still staying with them? Because they're over 30 years old now. Dorothy, clearly very upset, you know, tries to leave, but accidentally opens the bathroom door, <laughs> saying, you know, I'm so mad, I'm storming out the ba- into the bathroom door. Uh, Glenn continues to uh, ask her to stay. <coughs> But ultimately, she does does leave the uh, hotel room. Yeah. We then change scenes again. Uh, we find Rose entering the living room. Uh, she she greets Sophia, who's in there, and Blanche. Uh, she tells Blanche that the car is making a previously discussed very funny noise more frequently now, uh, a wheezing, coughing, rattling kind of sound every time it goes up a hill. And then Sophia brings up one of her funny stories, interjecting that that's a bad sign, and says that's exactly how Tony. Triano sounded before they uh, wheeled him out of the home in a gurney, I think. Mm-hmm. Do you wish they'd use Dominic Tanzi again? Yeah, that would have been good to give a call back to that earlier part, uh, especially, you know, we know how virile of a man he was back in the day. So. <laughs> exactly. Would have been nice he got his comeuppance. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that he got a little easier when he said <laughs> Right. <laughs> uh, Rose thinks that the, she should probably just take the car to the mechanic to get it looked over, but Blanche then quickly convinces her that you know, a mechanic would probably just try to lie to her and convince her that something was wrong to get the sale. Now, don't you think, you know, this is a, a small group, four women. Um, obviously, Rose needed a vehicle, so we assume she didn't have one at all. I don't think Sophia drives. So we got two vehicles in the house. I assume Dorothy has her own vehicle and Blanche. At some point, when Blanche complained about her car giving trouble or was she trying to run this con for a long time <laughs> as soon as it started giving trouble then she was like i'm not going to mention this at all because i need to get one over on this dumb dumb i don't it's know very like possible rose getting around prior to that maybe public transportation i don't know if they lived on the bus line <laughs> or, yeah. or what but um yeah I, i'm not exactly or maybe maybe she had a car already that was Maybe it died on her yeah it could be maybe it was yeah, a they don't say why she needs a car they just say that she does need one so. right that's well, that, when I was watching it, that's kind of what I was saying is that she must have had one that died on her or something. Yeah, that seems like it makes sense. Maybe she just traded in for nothing. Mm-hmm. Could half, be. Half Blue Book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't afford to get something else. So. Right. Uh, so, you know, she says that, you know, it's, it's making this weird sound all the time when it's going uphill. And then uh, she uh, kind of uh, gullibly agrees that, you know, just going to see a mechanic would be a bad idea. And then uh, Sophia adds, seeing how gullibly she fell for this. Boy, I wish I had a car to sell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then she exits the, the room. Uh, then the phone rings, and Rose answers. Uh, she thinks it's Glenn, who has called several times already that day. Uh, the girls have been instructed, probably by Dorothy, to uh, turn him away. <laughs> <laughs> the smart money's on Dorothy. I'm thinking. <laughs> I, I suppose it could have been Sophia that also, uh, but yeah, yeah, I'd say, I'd say it's a fair assumption that Dorothy was the one who, who advised everyone to turn him away. And she says, Dorothy's not home. She's never coming home again. Now don't call here anymore. Right. Of course, she thinks it was Glenn, but it is not. She <laughs> says, oh, Mr. Yamamoto you know, from the school. Mm-hmm. He was asking to talk to Dorothy about a, a work issue. Rose then apologizes and kind of stumbles over her words and, and basically reveals that Dorothy's having an affair, but then changes the wording to uh, that yet Mr. Yamamoto is so fair mm-hmm. with her. And she kind of also goes off the racist path kind of have his diatribe based on the man's name. I'm sure Yamamoto, she assumed he's Asian. 
uh, saying that he, he's likely good at math and she's very happy that he has his own Disney World now. I <laughs> <Yeah>. think <laughs> she's tired of him visiting hers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they didn't move to Miami, so they'd have to share Disney World. <laughs> That's true. Uh, and then we, she hangs up the phone uh, as she's bowing to it. <laughs> right. I missed the bow. I didn't catch that at all. <laughs> it's really funny. Then uh, Rose hollers for Dorothy and tells, tells that uh, the school just called about a teaching assignment. Uh, Dorothy says she's not ready to return to work because she's still depressed about how things ended with Glenn. Now, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I, I get upset from time to time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't usually give me free range to just not going to work. I guess yeah. she's a sub, so yeah. it's a little less critical maybe. But yeah. yeah, I think she's got some flexibility as far as when she accepts a gig and when she doesn't. Pro- that's probably so. it, yeah. But it is odd that she automatically assumes she'll be stuck back at the same school. You know, right? It seems like you know Miami Dade County Municipal School District. Or maybe she's just so one. you know she's so upset and distraught that she just can't work. Mm-hmm. It's too much for her. Yeah, maybe. You know, she says you know for three weeks uh, she was elated and now she's just miserable. Rose tries to kind of comfort her, telling her she did the right thing by breaking it off with a married man. Dorothy kind of protests by saying that she still feels horrible about it. Blanche then kind of steps in and defends Dorothy's position by pointing out. That if Dorothy and Glenn were realistic and discreet about their uh, situation, they weren't really hurting anybody. She goes on to say that uh, often things happen outside of our plans and we have to just grab happiness where we can get it. Rose vehemently disagrees and lists that lists like several people, like famous mm-hmm. groups like yeah. Laurel and Hardy, I think she even says. Yeah. Right. That, she likes uh, Martin and Lewis. Yep. And the people that have broken up based on that type of thinking. And then the phone rings again, and this time it is Glenn. Uh, Dorothy picked it up. Uh, Rose and Blanche were kind of talking over her shoulders. It was really resembling uh, mm-hmm. the whole uh, cliche where the angel and devil oh. are kind of kind of spurting things in your ears. I right. I missed that too. Rose says, you know, she should hang up. You know, get rid of that guy. Mm-hmm. And that uh, Blanche insists that she should keep talking and follow her feelings. <laughs> uh, ultimately, Dorothy does hang up. Rose kind of hugs her and tells her she's proud of her. Uh, Blanche suggests that they go ahead and start supper. So Blanche and Rose exit, but after they leave the room, Dorothy calls Glenn right back. Mm-hmm. Says they sh- should get together and talk. Yeah. But uh, she definitely pivots on a dime. On, on a dime, yes. Yeah. She was pretty solid with him on the phone. She was, yeah. So Glenn must have been taken aback exactly. when she calls him directly back. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think that's why she said who it was. Yes, <laughs> Glenn, it's Dorothy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it didn't take her long to reverse course on uh, on that yeah. decision. But. Emotional roller coaster this episode was. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but then as she's talking to, to Glenn, Rose mm-hmm. actually walks back in. Mm-hmm. I don't know to tell her something, but really probably for just plot point. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> she quickly acts like she's talking to Mr. Yamamoto and says, yeah, yeah, I'll be back in. I'll see you soon. Yeah, and Betty White hits her marks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it... Uh, You'd have to think that Glenn would be at least somewhat confused at this point um, because, you know, she shuts him down cold, calls him back immediately, and then halfway through the call, or halfway through a one-minute phone call, if even that, (laughs) you know, (laughs) she pretends that he's somebody else and hangs up the phone. Uh, (laughs) And then she goes on in to make, you know, to make dinner with the the other ladies. So I'd have to assume he was waiting a little while to get that. What was that about? No, No explanation. Uh, so, when again, scene change. Uh, Dorothy is now coming back into the house late at night, and Rose is actually in the, coming into the living room at the same time. All she says is, Dorothy? And she responds with, what is this, the Spanish Inquisition? Look, I don't have to defend myself. If I want to see Glenn, I'll see Glenn. Which then, you know, of course, Dorothy or Rose did not know she was seeing Glenn again. But uh, so she doesn't want to know about it. She's uh, instantly upset about it. And Dorothy agrees that she didn't want to talk about it anyway. They both leave the room in kind of different directions, but then realizing how kind of silly and unpleasant that, you know, exchange was, uh, they both kind of converge back in the living room. Uh, Dorothy asks why she's been up so late, and uh, Rose <laughs> said that she was hungry and was going to make herself a sandwich, and then even offers to make Dorothy, after being a jerk, if she would like one as well. You know, Dorothy declines, uh, saying that, you know, she and Glenn had gone out to dinner, and Rose was kind of encouraged by this. Saying, oh, you just went out to dinner? Oh, that's good. And she kind of clarifies and says, no, we spent dinner at dinner. We spent the evening in a motel. Right, yeah. She, it, it's nice that she doesn't even want Rose to think that she may have gone <laughs> um, a more pure way. She wants mm-hmm. 
make sure it's right on Front no, Street. We that, banged nasties all night. Yeah, exactly. My <laughs> ugly was bumped. Uh, so. And Rose, you know, almost indignant, says, "Oh, oh, Dorothy, you know, uh, <laughs> a cheap, tawdry, bare bulb den of iniquity." Yeah, <laughs> I love that description. I think yeah. that may be my favorite line. Uh, that's actually that's my second. My my favorite line is near the end. Okay. Uh, Dorothy uh, then responds, we didn't drive to Sodom and Gomorrah, Rose. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't know what the name of the hotel they went to is. So It's true. It's true. She, she did say it was very nice, though. Mm-hmm. And then they were kind of mad at each other. They, uh, again, kind of walk in different directions. Ultimately, Dorothy then follows Rose into the kitchen, saying she was too nervous to eat too much at dinner. And so uh, then they're in there. Blanche walks in there, surprised to see. <laughs> Bless Excuse you. me. Mm-hmm. Blanche and surprised to see both the girls up so late. You do have my permission to edit that out. Oh, okay. I appreciate that. Now you're making it more difficult to edit it out. But... Wop, 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 wop. <laughs> <laughs> That's just extra. Okay. So then I guess try to start over where you were about to start talking. <laughs> I'm just saying uh, I'm exercising my final cut. Option. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. If, if you're just giving me permission, <laughs> would that be... Do you think that I cont- would I contact you anytime I... I feel like I need to edit something out that you've said I, or done. I, I assumed, in oh. the fact that I'd never heard of you, I just assumed it was nothing but comic gold coming out of these lips. Well, since you've already said you're not going to listen to any of the episodes, you know, I can pretty much make you sound like an asshole the entire time if I want to. <laughs> <laughs> and you wouldn't know the difference. So. <laughs> you know, I like to get my finger on the pulse of pop culture. Mm-hmm. And so since nobody else is listening to these, I feel like I should follow suit. <laughs> just to stay in the zeitgeist yeah yeah it would be a shame if you started talking about something people's person Mm -hmm. yeah exactly it's like hey did you not listen to sophia's choice last week (laughs) i sure didn't what (laughs) else didn't you do neither (laughs) yeah well once this gets bigger than uh i think you can't edit it out now this is too much good yeah i don't know i I don't know if it's that good (laughs) it's still you go ahead and start where you were gonna start and then I can make the decision later on if this is going to be <laughs> on the cutting room floor or not. We're already at almost 40 minutes, and we still have a bit of show left to go. Long time, yeah. yeah. We so, haven't even talked about Alex Rocco and Batman 66. Yeah, yeah. So we still got uh, still got more to go for sure. Uh, so anyway, the girls are mad at each other. They kind of go. the whole 9-11 thing, too. The whole 9-11 thing? That she's been hit by more lightning bolts than the World Trade Center. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's that was back early. That was the uh, thunderstruck early. Yeah, it was shortly after the Challenger reference. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, uh, I don't know, there's a lot of uh, foreboding um, references that are made in this particular episode. Um, oh, what history has taught us. Mm-hmm. That you get lynched for <laughs> saying stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so I think we're back at uh, the girls, you know, kind of going different directions. Uh, Rose then goes in the kitchen, Dorothy follows her. Saying, you know, honestly, I was too nervous at dinner to eat much, so uh, go ahead and get something. Blanche comes in, seeing the girls, is uh, surprised that they're both up at this hour. Says, you know, Rose kind of backhandedly then ex- exposes that Dorothy had been uh, continuing the affair. Uh, Rose suggests that Blanche, you know, had some experience in this type of situation, can maybe offer some advice. Right. She says so kind of sarcastically. Uh, Blanche agrees that she can definitely give advice. And says, you know, she should always check in as Mr. and Mrs. Don Shula because they'll always provide a fruit basket and a bottle of champagne on the house. Don't you feel like, I mean, Don Shula, you know, was the coach of the Dolphins. Um, mm-hmm. and, and they went undefeated, you know, one of the seasons that he was the coach. And, yeah, yeah a legendary coach. I definitely don't think they just would take it at face value and go ahead and send up complimentary, you know, <laughs> goods to the room um, in the hope that they were sending that to their beloved coach. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think that would work out more often than not. I think they would get the... I think that would work a lot at a, a motel, too. Yeah, probably I'm sure not. sure Mr. Don Shula has to check in at hotel, motels. And, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, dens of iniquity quite often. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then she talks about how you should go check in like that. Dorothy gets her from the table to leave, and uh, Blanche tells her that, you know, kind of a side note, that she had a third cousin that cheated with a married man for 15 years. And she asked, you know, were they still together? She said, you know, they would be, but the man's wife shot him in the boxer shorts. As her, her voice kind of trails off, realizing that wasn't a very good story to uh, right. 
doesn't really strengthen the argument. Well, at least in that story, the man is the one who gets the punishment at the end, not the, the right. mistress. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that could give you a little bit of comfort. Like, well, if one of us is going to get shot, hopefully it'll be him. <laughs> so. Rose kind of continues to ooze with condescension. In the discussion, we find out that Blanche has never actually slept with a married man, which I thought was quite in contention with other things we've heard in the series so far. Well, yeah, I mean, there was a prior episode where Dorothy whispers into Blanche's ear something to the effect of, like, uh, my wife's home, and then she, you know, Jolts leaps. right up, yeah. Yeah, as if it's a, a phrase that she's mm-hmm. heard multiple times and knows how to react. So, yeah, it definitely doesn't jibe with the impression Blanche has given us in the past. Maybe she's just got, you know, paranoia built in. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> um, yeah. Fight or flight, all right? Yep, exactly. Um, but anyway, uh, she says that she's never slept with a married man, saying that a relationship like that wouldn't really be worthwhile in her eyes, uh, adding that uh, the husband, feeling guilty, always gives the nicer gifts to the wife. Yeah, it's funny. Blanche has, hasn't generally come across to me as a woman who is motivated by by the gifts and whatnot that come. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe the attention and definitely the, you know, amorous activities. Mm-hmm. But, I don't know, this is the first time, number one, that she's indicated she hasn't slept with a married man, and number two, that she's really come off as being more worried about the material side of the, right. the relationship. So, mm-hmm. I don't know, this this uh, particular episode uh, throws a lot of things. almost out of character. A little it? bit, yeah. Um, I wonder how well that'll handle throughout the series or if they'll backpedal that information yeah. yeah we'll find out if in the next 184 episodes 86 if she uh, puts a bit of a burden on the continuity yeah exactly we'll see if in the next 166 episodes if uh, we find out that she may have not been completely truthful well uh Dorsey keeps kind of defending her own you know viewpoints and her her standpoint when sophia comes in she'd been listening behind the door and uh, you know she kind of like ma which you know is pretty uppity for someone who is <laughs> You know, doing some unscrupulous things. And she's like, I raised you to respect yourself, not be somebody's floozy. Right. And then we change scenes yet again. Uh, Sophia is now lounging on the lanai with her headphones on, listening to Purple Rain, which we know because Mm -hmm. she sings a single kind of off-key line, which was Purple Rain. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Rose then enters. That's why it's not available on the Hulu or the the iTunes. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, I I love the idea that, um, you know, Prince... Probably one of the most provocative uh, lyricists of, uh, of <laughs> yeah. his time for period, for sure. Uh, I love the idea of Sophia rocking out to a Prince CD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, I, I don't know that it was a CD. a concert. Well, that's true. Yeah, yeah, she, she does. Uh, she I, would, I would suggest that it would be a tape, though. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, probably so. We don't really get a yeah, good look 80s. at the Walkman yeah. or whatever she's listening to. Yeah. We kind of see it laying on the table, but... I think it's probably a tape. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you're you're correct. In 1885, definitely a tape. Yeah. So. When did CDs get introduced? Does anybody know? Um, I mean, they were around like 84 or something. Yeah, I, I, I they knew they were started. out, but I didn't yeah, know. But what. like, they didn't get popular until like 89-ish, I think is when they really. Yeah, probably not up. CD man yet yeah. at that point. Um, CD man? Yeah. Didn't that what they used to call the CD Discman. version Discman. of Walkman? Discman. Discman, There's yeah. Walkman and Discman. Yeah, I don't think they ever had the Discman out at that point. <laughs> yes, nor the CD man. Right, nor they ever <laughs> the CD man. But I like to think that we can make a, a superhero named CD man. <laughs> and we don't even have to make a compact disc. We can make it something else. Yeah, like a... You know, like the investment type of a CD? Yes. <laughs> Keep that, so. write that one down, Alan. Okay. If we were um, Detroit police officers and there was an officer down, we would call for a code 9000. Oh, okay. Ah. So that's what the 9000 is from? Yes. Oh, good. I'm glad we were able to put a button on that. <laughs> Detroit 9000 explained. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Oh, and for what it's worth, the uh, Discman was Sony's first portable D- uh, CD player, and it was first at the market in 1984 so she may have been listening wow. to a disc man yeah. um although how's pro- about that yeah and it was changed to a cd walkman worldwide um in 2000 nice. so that's closer to cd man that's kind of halfway <laughs> in between i wasn't quite as far off yeah as what you would indi- have indicated yeah i thought about getting a walkman for my car Oh, really? Yeah. Do you not have a CD player in your car? No, I didn't come with one. Oh. Like, I've got the Sirius, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, in between it and, like, you know, my phone and the Bluetooth, whatever. Right. Um, 
but they sell these like Walkmans. Um, it's just like an old school little tape deck or whatever mm-hmm. with a Bluetooth thing, so you can listen to tapes in your car. Oh, okay. So, but then I would have to buy a boombox so I could make myself mixtapes. Yeah. So well, I know you should do that anyway. Yeah. Well, I know in the back of your car you have all the speakers and whatnot. Um, you know, kind of like there was uh, all the rage in the two thousands. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So. Uh, so we're back with uh, Purple Rain. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to exclude our uh, podcast from being brought. Up. Well, yes. as long as you don't sing it, I think we'll be fine. Good point. Good. She didn't really sing it either, though. Well, no. Just poorly sang one, two words. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think that like they were afraid about suing the Golden Girls. I think Apple was just afraid that he would sue them. Well, yeah, that's true. So maybe that's why they didn't have on the iTunes. I like Purple Rain. I like it a lot. Rose enters and she's... Top 10 favorite Prince songs. Good to know. You don't need to tell us the other nine. (laughs) 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 But I I will trust that it's uh, within that group. Can I tell you why? Sure. (laughs) Are you going to edit it out? No, probably not. I mean, it's a possibility, but it's unlikely. Oh, we'll go and tell us that. I would say it's a <laughs> probably 90% chance it would not get edited out. Okay. I want to hear it now. Yeah. So, like, it's going along and everything, uh-huh. and it's, like, you know, just an amazingly good song. Sure. Okay. But what I like about it is, like, the guitar solo at the end, you know, was live, you know. Like, the very first time he ever played that song in concert or whatever, that's what that guitar solo is from. The very end. So, like, the people who were cheering, they were the very first people to ever hear Purple Rain. Wow. And that's that just, is really cool. And they, Yeah, it's just amazing to me. It's like those people are, and they were cheering. It's like they didn't know they were witnessing history, but they really, really enjoyed that song they just heard for the first time. And it's just, I don't know, it makes me feel nice to know that, like, people instantly got it that quickly. You know, I have a good friend at work named Jason Banbury. Yeah, I don't know if I can use his name, but anyway, he's a very talented musician. He's in like five bands. They're all like, uh, like some of them are tribute bands, one of which is Four Prince. Oh. And I got to go see him last year, year before. Mm-hmm. He did like a uh, long, like several hour long concert where he like performed all these different characters, right? Mm-hmm. I think one of them's, uh, Bret Hart or something, and not Bret Hart. That's wrong. Bret the Hitman Hart from no, uh, no. WWE. <laughs> um, I'd like to think that is uh, <laughs> that tribute band is called Heartstrings. <laughs> Heartstrings, I like yeah. that. Now, does he have someone who does Jim the Anvil <laughs> Hart <laughs> as well? I didn't even know who that is. <laughs> I think that's his brother, isn't it? Oh, maybe. Or, or you know, the character who plays his brother. <laughs> um, I'm totally butchering. I don't remember, but he does several different, uh, you know, song genres basically. Mm. But uh, his prince is spot on. It is really impressive to watch. <laughs> and he played Purple Rain at that concert. Nice. Did you do Ballad of Dorothy Parker? No. <sighs> but he did do uh, My Darling Nikki, which my wife's favorite, <laughs> one of her favorite songs. Yeah, I could see her liking Because her name is Nikki. <laughs> convenient. It is convenient, Alan. <laughs> which is one of his dirtier songs, actually, too. <laughs> convenient now? Very much so. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. He has Nikki. a song called... Uh, the... Oh, okay. I thought he had a song called Convenient Now. No. I was like, what <laughs> bootleg B-side is this? I've never heard this one. Yeah, Brent's a, a fairly, you know, well-versed uh, when it comes to his musical taste. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it would be kind of funny if all of a sudden Ski whipped out <laughs> some Prince knowledge that Brent didn't have. The um, Ballad of Dorothy Parker. I think that may be my favorite Prince song mm. just because I love that one so much. <laughs> that is the way it works. <laughs> Typically, my favorite things are the things I love so much also. So, like, so in the song, like, you know, Prince and his old lady, um, his girlfriend, they get into an argument, and they're arguing, and he needs to cool off, and he needs to get out of there because things are getting out of hand. So he goes down to um, see his favorite waitress at this little diner, and you're not, you're not pausing, are you? No. Okay. Um because this is gold. I love this song. So anyways, he goes to see her or whatever because he, he just really likes her. And, but he's not hungry. He's just angry. Oh, you okay. know. But you go to a diner, you have to order something. Sure. And so Prince orders a fruit cocktail because, you know, he's just not that hungry, you know, which is the kind of thing you can do if you're Prince. <laughs> you can just <laughs> sit down and monopolize a booth and order a fruit cocktail. <laughs> and so, you know, he, he's talking to the waitress, Dorothy Parker. And she was like, well, hey, my shift's over. You want to go back to my place? And he's like, yeah, sure. Why not? Um, so they go back to her place and start listening to some Joni Mitchell, you know, on the stereo and everything. 
And then she was like, well, um, you know, I need to go ahead. I've been working all day. It's time for my bath. You want to join me? And Prince is a gentleman. He's like, yeah, but, you know, I've got a girlfriend, so I'm keeping my jeans on. And so, you know, <laughs> they take a bath together, and he leaves his jeans on and everything. Because, um, again, if you're Prince, you can do that, I guess. Right, sure. And so, and then, you know, he leaves or whatever, and he goes back home to his lady. Um, Wet and then, jeans and all? Yeah, yeah. But, like, subsequently, like, every time, you know, him and his lady get into an argument, he just puts on his jeans and hops in the bathtub and thinks about happier times. He thinks about <laughs> Dorothy Parker. <laughs> <laughs> now, that you, now that you've played that out, I don't think I've ever heard that song. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to have to look it up now. Oh, it's off Sign of the Times. Hmm. It's the second best song on that album. Starfish and Coffee is my first favorite song off that album. Very nice. Now, we don't need to get into that. We can put it on the next Prince cast. Um, but <laughs> can I say one thing about that? Sure. <laughs> so Starfish and Coffee, he performed on The Muppet Show. Because, uh-huh. um, like... They're like, he's in this skit, and they're like, you know, I bet you can write a song about anything. And he's like, yeah, I probably could. And so they give him, like, this menu, and he's like, make a song off of this. And he does Starfish and Coffee, which was a pre-existing song. He didn't, like, make it up oh, on okay. the menu or whatever. And after, after he does the song with the Muppets and everything, they're like, hey, that's really good. You want to do it again? He's like, yeah, sure. Pick something else. And they go, there, raspberry sorbet. <laughs> and then he just sort of <laughs> looks at the camera and mugs for a bit. <laughs> and I just, I just love that. <laughs> so that's your, is it your favorite song on the album because specifically of that? Uh, no, like I didn't even oh, okay, know. Okay, you loved did, it. Uh, yeah, prior, prior to, to. Like I didn't know he'd done it on the Muppets, but I was you know, on the YouTube looking for a performance of him doing it. And that one came up and I was like, Ooh, very interesting. Yeah. So I'm not sure where we're at in this episode. Purple rain. At this point. Purple rain. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't quite made it past that. God willing. They don't have anything about the grateful dead in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting a little bit closer to the end here. We've okay. got a little ways left, but we're getting there. So, you know, she's listening to the purple rain on her headset and then uh, Rose enters and she's clearly worried and she needs to find Blanche to tell her something about the car. Um, Sophia does not hear her, but just then Blanche comes in anyway. Uh, Rose kind of says, hey, you know, I was going to the bank to get the money for your car, but uh, Blanche kind of cuts in and says, look, I can't sell you the car. You know, I've got a level with you. You (laughs) The car's condition was not exactly great when I uh, let you borrow it. It's kind of a junker. And uh, when uh, I wanted to trade it in earlier, but, you know, as we discussed previously, I was only going to get half blue book value, and she needed the full blue book value to uh, get the new car she wanted. Then, you know, Rose kind of just says, hey, you know, no one's going to buy it because it's been stolen. Right. <laughs> and then instantly, you know, Blanche is indignant and is like, you know, despite the fact that she was just, you know, kind of admitting yeah, to. Intentionally going to screw over <laughs> Rose now that this, uh, you know, something that Rose had very little control over has happened. <laughs> yeah, now she's a. Uh, well, then now Sophia's listening, and she stops Blanche by asking, wasn't it insured? They'll pay you full, they'll pay a full blue book. And then instantly again, Blanche turns another 180, and all is forgiven. And, you know, she says she's immediately forgives Rose. She's going to go call the, uh, the car dealership to uh, seal the deal on this new car she wants. But before she can leave, Rose kind of just asks for clarity and says, was, was that stuff you said? Were you going to cheat me? <laughs> And she like kind of comes back and says, "Cheat you, Rose. You just analyze everything to death." Right. Which really is just you know you hit it on the nail, the <laughs> yeah. nail on the head. <laughs> uh, then Rose and Blanche both exit, but as they are, uh, Dorothy's coming out. Dorothy asks Sophia, you know, where her shoes are. Sophia asks, and this is actually one of my favorite lines again. Another date with Mrs. O'Brien's husband. <laughs> very, uh, very uh, sarcastically. Yeah. Uh, Dorothy explains that she's very happy and will continue to see Glenn as long as she wants. Sophia kind of disagrees, saying that she hears Dorothy uh, up late pacing around her room from guilt and that she thinks she probably hates herself. Uh, Dorothy says that she's wrong, but Sophia persists, saying, My mistake. I've only known you since you were born. I know Dorothy's a tall woman, um, you know, stately. How does she clop around her room to where Sophia can hear her pacing? I mean, is she slammed into the walls or is she just, you know, I don't know. I feel like I could walk around my room, especially on what and appears to be. We know that a, there's carpet in there. Yeah, it's carpeted. It's a one level thing. It's not like she's walking above her. Um, yeah, she must really. Uh, well, we know that Sophia was listening behind the door 
earlier, so maybe she's been listening to the wall. Yeah, it could be. Um, just looking for any sign that Dorothy may be in distress. So. Or maybe she spitballed it and guessed. Mm-hmm, could be. Uh, as Dorothy's kind of walking away, Sophia <laughs> says, <laughs> What? Nothing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like she's listening and she thinks like a, like a horse is clopping around in Dorothy's room. <laughs> And she was like, how'd a horse get in Dorothy's room? And then Blake just like, that's no horse, that was Dorothy. And Sophia's like, that's no lady. Oh, so you, think, you think that scene was cut and that was what that it was, was originally? That was no lady. Exactly. So right now, now you're just uh... well, That still wouldn't make sense, though. <laughs> It would make sense if it was the other way around, if there really was a horse. And, <laughs> and you know, someone's like, oh, that's a heavy-footed lady. And then you're like, that's no lady. And then you're like, in the background. <laughs> I don't know. I think your hypothesis <laughs> is ruled out. I really like that he's trying to fill in the blanks, though. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, he, I, give him, I give him A plus for... For attempt. Each week I try to crack the puzzle as to <laughs> what was going on. Yeah. Well. I usually just chalk it up to cocaine in the writer's room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you could tell Susan Harris was uh, tapping that nose quite often. So. <laughs> well, as Dorothy is uh, kind of heading out, Sophia adds that she hopes that they're going bowling. Dorothy says, why? And, and Sophia adds, well, you can rent some shoes there. <laughs> Uh, I'm assuming Sophia hit the shoes. I don't know. Yeah, that's we the impression really, that it gives. We but. never really you know, solidify that, but yeah. Uh, Dorothy then turns around and then puts pushes some button on the Walkman. I'm assuming it makes the volume like spike hurting Sophia's ears. Right. Yeah, make an old lady deaf because of her, uh, <laughs> <laughs> her morals. Right. How dare you call me out on my indiscretions. Exactly. Uh, so we've got another scene change, and then we're again in the hotel room. It looks like the same one from before. Uh, Glenn comes out of the bathroom and kind of states that if they want to grab dinner, they'll need to take separate cars. You'll have to head home right afterwards. And Dorothy says, yeah, look, forget dinner and that we need to talk. Uh, she explains that things aren't working out for her. Glenn won't leave his wife and she doesn't want to be the other woman. Uh, they both confess that they know the other one loves, each, loves the other. Uh, but uh, Dorothy says right now that's just not enough. Glenn continues to say that he can't risk... Uh, breaking up his marriage at this stage in his life. And if things didn't work out between them, he'd be alone, and he just can't do that, which I thought was a pretty rough thing to say to anybody. Yeah, this this particular so scene, supposedly love. to me, this makes Glenn the biggest villain of the entire 14 episodes so far. <laughs> I mean, even he, the, the, the guy who was uh, the bigamist? Well, yeah, I mean, the bigamist, at least he's... Glenn's essentially saying, you may end up alone, mm-hmm. and I don't give a shit about that. <laughs> but if I leave my wife and take a chance on this relationship and you leave me, then I'll end up alone. Mm-hmm. So I want to play the field, you know. I definitely think it makes him look like a jackass. Yeah, <laughs> not, Eddie said something, you know, if he had gone a little further and said like, hey, you can go out and find yourself someone and I can be your side piece, you know. <laughs> right. Then I could look at that and respect it to a certain degree. I mean, not respect it, but I could at least not think of him as being such a horrible Scumbag, human being. Yeah. Because yeah. you're saying, I love you, but I don't care if you end up alone. Um, I'm just not going to take the risk of it happening to me. <laughs> so... So do you think he viewed, like, Stanley as a cautionary tale? Uh, perhaps. Uh, you mean, like, a cautionary tale, uh, like Dorothy's end of it being mm-hmm. the cautionary tale? Yeah. Yeah, yeah perhaps. Uh, Dorothy had, I don't know. I, I get the impression that it wouldn't have really mattered if uh, mm-hmm. Stanley, you know, had ever been part of the picture or not, um, yeah. that he was just well, an I'm, asshole. I'm certain that Dorothy's, you know, thoughts about infidelity are definitely hammering home oh, with sure. thoughts of Stanley, so... But anyway, she goes on to state that if he was truly serious about the relationship, he wouldn't be scared, and that even if he was, you know, the love would make it all worthwhile. She said loving. Did oh, she said loving? <laughs> yeah. I should have. I see. You. Yeah. I'll have to fix my notes. No, it's, it's just I like the fact that. <laughs> uh, she says that you the know. The Godzilla routine was going to make it all worth it. <laughs> 
I wonder at what point during the coitus that uh, Dorothy <laughs> decided to end things. Because, you know, she's obviously getting herself ready. So they've yeah. had one last roll in the hay. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, yeah, I think we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. It did seem like they took like a like a six-episode arc and just crammed it down into a single, you know, 12-minute <laughs> right. montage. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. So so now things have ended between yeah, says, Glenn and Dorothy. Know, she'll be sad. But uh, she'll she's gonna leave him, and then ultimately she'll get over it. And she says, you know, if she ended up alone, you know, that would just it wouldn't be fair, obviously, to her. Right. And they kind of exchange "I love yous," and then she leaves. And then the last scene change, uh, we see Sophia in the kitchen washing dishes. Uh, Dorothy enters and tells her that you know she has broken off with Glenn, and Dorothy kind of apologizes for being you know a little. Uh, Hussy, if you will. Right. And then asks Sophia if she's still mad at her, and she responds that she was never really mad at her, just concerned. And then she, uh, Sophia asks Dorothy if she is mad at her, and she responds, what for? For trying to stop your daughter from making a mistake? And this is my favorite line. Sophia quips back, well, somebody has to. You kids get to be middle-aged. You think you know everything. <laughs> Yeah. Playing fast and loose with the phrase "middle aged." <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if she if yeah, they're living to a hundred, yeah, hundred, hundred and ten, <laughs> somewhere in there. Um, Speaking of which, uh, Kurt Douglas just died. Yeah, at yeah. one hundred and three. That's that's an old man. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, I don't know. He definitely proves John Mellencamp right about life going on long after the thrill <laughs> of living is gone. Um, I, I don't know. I, there's part of me, because you know I've seen him on award shows and whatnot within the last couple of years, mm-hmm. and you know, obviously he lived a great life, but uh, I don't know if I ever want to be that old. <laughs> no, yeah, I I saw the news feed about him being you know passing, and I was like, he's still alive. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he was gone a long time ago, honestly. Yeah, well, still still around kicking, Spartacus. getting lifetime achievement awards and things of that nature, but. Um, yeah, he was pretty unintelligible the last time that he spoke at uh, one of those award ceremonies. It was a little rough to watch. Yeah, he was his generation's Temple Grandin. <laughs> I do not get that reference at all. Yeah, <laughs> I don't necessarily think it's apt, but... <laughs> <laughs> Just saying unintelligible award show appearances. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, see, he actually spoke at his award show appearances, though, as opposed to Temple, who just waved to the crowd happily. That's true. So. That's true. I have to look that up too. Yeah, we discussed it in a prior episode. We already told you about it? Temple Grounding. But I have forgotten. She she went to a lot of award shows the year that uh, Claire Danes was in a, oh, a, I do kind of an HBO about movie. That. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anybody who listened to the sound of well, when I'm listening to back. our our list, our episodes backward, you know, mm-hmm. or, or, our, our archives to hear for any of the <laughs> satanic messages that I've dropped in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> No, as I'm look as I'm as I'm listening to our backlog, oh, okay. <laughs> I will uh, review for that one. There are a lot of logs in our uh, in our <laughs> catalog. You have to be a Patron subscriber in order to get access. <laughs> That's right, to yeah, that. for the good for the good stuff. Right. If you want the archives, you got to pony up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so after that uh, clever quip uh, about uh, the middle age, uh, Blanche and Rose enter the kitchen talking about uh, something that just happened. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I like it when they walk into the kitchen talking about stuff that's not happened yet. (laughs) Well, they could talk about stuff that happened a long time ago or something entirely un... You walk in, (laughs) Rose is like, I'm telling you, that challenger is not the place to be. (laughs) Yeah, we like to see the Nostradamus. uh. Oh, hey, the the psychic from the last episode. She could have been part of that. Yeah, that's true. Gene Dixon, that's Uh right. Uh, But yeah, they were driving uh, Blanche's new car and a high patrolman was following him. I don't get the impression they were pulled over, though, from the way they said. They see that Dorothy is there and they hadn't expected her to be home yet. Uh, she explains that things are over with Glenn. The girls had come home to get Sophia and take her for a ride. Uh, and they invite Dorothy to join him, but she kind of declines. Mm-hmm. And then Sophia says, you know, I'll just stay home too. And then Rose says it. Mm-hmm. And then Blanche says it. And then they just kind of sit there a moment. And Dorothy says, well, this is depressing. And that they should all go cruising. So mm-hmm. they all end up heading out the door. And as uh, they're leaving, Blanche adds, I know a place where guys uh, wrestle naked in mud. And then that's the end. I've never 
understood the appeal of mud wrestling in general, you know, for men or women. Um, definitely doesn't seem like uh, where I don't want to spend. Just a little gross. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, so, yeah, there we have it. That was uh, episode 14. So uh, I think we've all, did you have a, a line that stood out to you, Brent? I like my Jerry Lewis impression. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> and uh, did you have an MVP of the episode, Ski? Or who would your MVP be? Um, I think I would have to go with uh, Sophia for taking the moral high ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so Rose doesn't get the credit for her moral high ground? Well, I don't think Rose's uh, uh, statements actually hammered home to Dorothy like Sophia's did because, you know, Ma versus some dits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think Rose gets the MVP for me just because of her whole wagon story. I thought it was really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that, that was I don't know, that was in strong contention for my favorite favorite line of the episode. Um, I know it was between that one and the uh, and Blanche's line, but I don't know. There, none of the four stood out, you know, head and shoulders above the rest for me. Um, so I think I'd have to go with, uh, with Rose also. I'll, I'll give her the... Number one, having one of my favorite lines. Number two, having the moral high ground. Mm-hmm. Um, plus the fact, too, even even taking the moral high ground away, just the fact that I think Blanche was lying about uh, the married <laughs> man thing. She was either lying this episode or she proved herself to be a liar in a prior episode, I think, yeah. um, or at least, you know, given the wrong impressions, uh, yeah. strong wrong impressions in prior episodes. So, yeah, well, I'll go with Rose also. Well, we know in the pilot she's been with a married man. <laughs> Well, with the uh, the preacher? Oh, well, yeah, technically. <laughs> but um, that one, I, she didn't knowingly. I think you have yeah. to at least give some leeway in that case. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah. So how many slices of cheesecake do you think this one I'm earned? I'm actually give it five. Five. I, I thought there were a lot of really good lines, and I thought the B story was pretty strong. And uh, I just liked it. Brent, how many chest slices did, uh, did it earn in your book? Four. Four? Um, I thought it was really solid. I thought there were a lot of great lines. I thought it was, yeah, good B story. Um, I just think they just crammed too much A story into an episode. Mm-hmm. It seems like it was just, you know, I love you, I hate you, I love you, I hate you, you know, just back and forth. It seemed like every scene she started in one and ended in the other. Right. Like, I don't think she was consistent. Good point. Like, the first time we meet them, you know, like we the first time we see the two of them together, she breaks up with him, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, she they did she drop had, a pretty big bomb on her, though. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying she shouldn't have, but I'm just saying. <laughs> and then, like, the next time she speaks to him, she's like, we're getting back together, baby. And then the next time she sees him, she's like, we are done. <laughs> I think that's why he wasn't too distraught over it. He was like, oh, she'll be back. Yeah, yeah exactly. In episode 15, Rocco. Uh, uh. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I think I would go ahead and give it a – I'll go split the difference between the two and give it a four and a half. Yeah. Um, I would say both. I'd agree with both cases. A lot of good lines. Um, I, I kind of like they did the scene changes, you know, regularly, mm-hmm. but it also at the same time felt a little crammed in too. Yeah. So yeah, I think four and a half seems like a fair, a, a fair uh, average for it. So that, that'll be what it ends up averaging out for this one. I also like the line about um, you know, Dominic Tansy being more of a tunnel guy. Uh, so 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 your favorite lines were both your own lines. Yeah, I think I, I, think I did a good job this episode. Yeah, yeah, you did. You definitely did a solid job. Um, we meandered a lot in this episode, but it was pretty good meandering, I think. Mm-hmm. So, stay golden, Coco. Hey, thanks so much for downloading today. If you enjoyed that opening, you should definitely check out Ashley Jade on YouTube. She has a bunch of awesome compositions on there. If you want to get in touch, you can email us at Sophia's Choice Podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach us on Twitter at Sophia's Choice PC. We plan to have a new episode out every Monday. If you have a moment, give us a rating on iTunes or wherever else fine podcasts are downloaded. And of course, stay golden.